And he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. How many ways does every way leave out? Does it leave out any? Grow up in every way to him who is the head and to Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. If you look at that passage, there's a lot of words, a lot of clues in there about what the purpose of the church and the offices of the church and what Christians are called to do. Building up to the stature and fullness of Christ. No longer being children. Growing up in every way. And for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about that. What does the Bible say about how people grow? How we change? How we heal? When I was in graduate school in 2003 for counseling, I was learning all these secular theories about why people do what we do what's wrong with humanity, how do you help people heal or grow or change. And when I graduated, I had all these secular theories, but none of them quite, you know, none of them quite held up to what I already believed about humanity based on what the Bible teaches. And I was looking for ways to, like, okay, how do I square what these theories, some of these theories are saying with what the word of God is saying. Some of those theories, there's just nowhere to square it. It just doesn't line up. But the other ones there were, and I picked up this book called Changes That Heal by Dr. Henry Cloud. It's an old book. I think it was written in like 92. He was a Christian psychologist. And that book was the first thing that helped me integrate what the Bible says about healing and growth with some of the things I was learning in graduate school. And today, some of the things I'm going to share come directly from that, that book. But over the next few weeks, I'm going to be talking about nine things, nine ingredients that the Bible tells us help, help us and are essential for us to heal, to grow, to change, to move forward in our walk with God and our walk with each other. And today, we're going to look at three of them, grace, truth, and time. Now, grace is, if you've grown up in the church or around any Christian, you've heard it a million times. We sing about it, we preach about it, we talk about it, uh, even when we don't mean it. So we know what it is, but it's one of those things that it's hard to believe sometimes, and it's hard to hold on to because our natural inclination is toward works, toward earn, toward law, toward judgment. And so no matter how many times we hear about grace and we try to grow in grace, there's always this part of us that wants to sneak back over into 
what have you done for me lately, to prove it, to earn it. And like I said, it's one of those things, it's hard to hold on to. But it's fundamental to, one, the character of God, who he is. You can't understand God without understanding grace. But it's also fundamental to how we learn, grow, and how we walk with the Lord. Jeremiah mentioned it earlier. Grace is God's favor and ability. God's favor and ability. In Ephesians 2, Paul gives us a great description of what that looks like. Turn to Ephesians 2, chapter 1. Favor and ability. Ephesians 2, chapter 1. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were dead. He's, the Bible says you were spiritually dead. You know, those theories that I talked about in graduate school. Like if you go to a psychiatrist, they're going to tell you, oh, I, I know what's wrong. You've just got some chemical imbalances, and your body's not producing enough of this or too much of this, and we're going to give you this pill, and it's going to bring these things down or elevate these things. And they're going to say... The problem with humanity is we're just unbalanced and we just need a little something to balance us out. And they're not wrong. And psychologists may tell you that, well, it's, it's our emotions and our thoughts and those cause us to feel bad. And if we can just get those emotions and thoughts under control, people will feel better. And, you, and they're not wrong. Sociology will tell you, well, it's, it's, it's oppression it's discrimination, it's racism, it's sexism, it's the disparity between the have and the have-nots, and that was what causes humanity to, to go the way it goes. And if we could just create some kind of equality and fairness and put some, some safeguards in place, then people would thrive. And they're not, they're not totally wrong either. But Paul says, well, those are, those are, those are symptoms of something else. You know, our, our body doesn't work a certain way. We don't treat people a certain way. We oppress or we, or we become oppressed or we discriminate. All of those are, are symptoms because Paul says you were dead. You're spiritually dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul says we were dead in our trespasses and we were destined for wrath, God's wrath that, that comes upon all unrepentant sin. And then in first. Verse 4, he says, but God, being rich in mercy. What, is, what does rich mean? Got a lot of something, right? He's got a lot of mercy. Because of the great love in which he loved us, oh, he's got, got a lot of love. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace... God's favor and ability, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace 
He's got a lot of riches of grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What does this verse tell us about God's grace or grace in general? Look at verse 4. It says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us. And verse 7 says, immeasurable riches of his grace. Grace flows out of God's character. It didn't say that God has mercy. It says he's being rich in mercy. He had, it's, it's part of who he is. When God revealed himself to Moses on Mount Sinai, Exodus 34, he says, I am a God gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He's like, this is who I am. Grace isn't something God has. It's who he is. And extending grace, our ability to extend grace says more about our character, more about who we are than it does about the other person's faults. Extending grace says more about who we are and our character than it does about the other person's fault. Look at the latter part of verse 4. It said, he loved us, loved us with a great love, even when, that's, a, that's another part of the description, grace loves even when. Even when what? Well, you're dead in your trespasses. If you're married, even when your spouse doesn't act the way you, you, know, you want them to. If you're a parent, even when your kids you know, act like you don't want them to. And you wonder, who, whose kids are these? Grace loves even when. See, God loved us when we didn't measure up to his standard. And his standard is perfection. <laughs> he says, Jesus quotes uh, Leviticus 19.2, says, Be perfect because your heavenly Father in heaven is perfect. That's God's standard. See, grace doesn't wait until we get, get our act together. It said he loved us even when. And so if you only love someone when they do the right things, say the right things, that's not grace. Can you love people even when? Look at verse 7. It says it. He showed showed kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Grace shows kindness toward others. Grace is showing kindness even when other people aren't who we want them to be. Even when people look irredeemable. Especially when people look irredeemable. Because that's why that was our situation. Dead in our trespasses and sin. And said that God loved us even when and showed us the kindness of his immeasurable riches in his grace. Verse 8. It's not of your own doing. We didn't contribute anything. The old uh, 18th century preacher, Jonathan Edwards, he says, we contribute nothing to our salvation except the sin that made it necessary. 
You didn't do anything. It's not of our doing. Verse 8, it is a gift of God. It was freely given. We didn't earn anything. Verse 9, not a result of works. It's not based on our performance. So grace is, is the favor, it's the gift of kindness and acceptance. Even when we think others are deserving, unworthy, or unable to rise to the standard we think is appropriate. Even when we think others are undeserving, unworthy, and not able to rise to the standard we think is appropriate. There's an old song that when I was preparing this that came to my mind. The song is older than me, I think. Uh, some of you may know it. <laughs> uh, by the Rambos. Y'all remember Dottie Rambo? I don't know anything about Dottie Rambo, but I know this one song. It says, Amazing Grace will always be my song of praise. For it was grace that, brought, that bought my liberty. And I don't know why, just why he came to love me so. He looked beyond my fault and saw my need. That's what grace does. Look beyond my fault and saw my need. Grace is favor and ability. Ability to do what? To serve God. Look at verse 10. It says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Grace is the ability to serve God. It says that we can't work to to earn it. We can't do anything to obtain it. God did all the work. His work in Christ. It's the ability to be obedient, to walk in the good works that God has called us to do. See, we don't work for the grace we receive. We work from grace. There's a difference. We're not trying to earn God's grace. We've already, we already have it, and that's what motivates us. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, God is able to make all, all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, that's pretty comprehensive, all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. It's the ability to serve God. Not only that, grace is the, gives us the ability to trust God. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about this thorn in the flesh that he prayed for God to take away. And God said, no, <laughs> my grace is sufficient. You got to trust me with your weakness. It's ability to trust God. God's grace enables us to endure hardship and suffering, to accept weakness in ourselves, and accept weakness in others. The more grace we have, the more grace we internalize, the more grace we hold on to, the less critical we are of ourselves and other people. As, uh, Psalm 103 says that God knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. He makes allowances. We, uh, we got a puppy over Thanksgiving. And she is now six months old. And that dog frustrates me so much at times. So much. I lose my temper with the dog. 
And, uh, you know, the, the Bible says in Proverbs that righteous man has regards for his beast. So, so I, I can't mistreat the dog, which is unfortunate because she just. And I say, I got three females in the house and none of them listen to me. But the dog's only been in this world for six months. Only been living with us for one month. She doesn't know everything. She doesn't know everything. But, but I'm treating her by this standard. And it's like, well, she doesn't know anything. It's because I hadn't taught her. You hadn't trained her. I'm not able to accept the weakness in, in the dog. Grace also gives us the ability to live for God. Titus 2, verse 11 through 13, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He said it trains us to live for God until Jesus returns. I've gotten in a habit of when I'm speaking to a group or in public, I ask my daughter if there's anything that she thinks I need to add. And so she'll tell me what she thinks. And I said, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, growth and growing in the Lord. And what, 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 what do you got for me? And she says, well, she says, we can't be like Jesus, because, but we can act like Jesus. She said, we can't be like Jesus because Adam and Eve sinned, and we can't be perfect like Jesus was perfect on earth. She said, but we can act like Jesus. And I was like, that's pretty good. I'm going to put that in there. <laughs> but grace is the ability to, to live a godly life. And the more we grow in grace, the more we look like it, the more we behave like it, the more we think like it. So why, why do we need grace? We need grace because if it wasn't for grace, we would only get what we deserve. If it wasn't for grace, we would only receive what we could earn. If it wasn't for grace, everything would be based on performance. Now, I don't know what kind of relationships you would prefer, but would, would, would you like a relationship where everything had to be earned, everything was based on your performance. Some of you might have grown up like that. With, with parents like that or teachers like that where everything had to be earned. You couldn't get an boy or a girl for anything in the world. Would you prefer that or would you prefer a relationship that's filled with grace? See, grace sets the atmosphere where change and healing and growth can happen. Because people just, we do better when there's love and acceptance. People don't, people don't do well under criticism and rejection. Now, we might change our behavior, but the desire inside is still not there. You ever had your parent when you were growing up want you to do something? And you didn't want to do it. You go through the motions and you would do it, but inside you're just kicking and screaming. 
That's what criticism does. It doesn't, it doesn't really change who we are internally. It might change our outward behavior, but eventually it eats you up inside. Proverbs 16, 24 says, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. So how, how, do, how do I know if I need grace? Are you breathing? You got skin on? You know, if you're not Jesus, you need grace. We all need it. And we never outgrow our need for God's grace or the grace of other people. The Bible says that we grow in grace. We become more dependent on God's grace as we mature with the Lord. And I'll just throw this in that some people have trouble receiving grace from God and other people. And you probably know who you are, but if you don't, if you struggle with harsh judgments on yourself, you can't really give yourself any kind of kindness. If you struggle with blame and criticism of yourself and other people, you need some grace. Guilt, the inability to to cope with our own failure, our own imperfections. We need grace. Shame, that haunting feeling that we're somehow defective, that something's wrong with us. You need grace. Shame flows out of a life lived with a lot of comparison. Why can't you be more like your brother? Why can't you be like your sister? Or how come, how come you can't be like so-and-so across the street? Criticism, disapproval, embarrassment, abuse. You need grace. Perfectionism, which is really just two sides of the same coin with shame. An attempt to avoid shame by being as perfect as possible. If I can just perform better, then people will accept me and I'll be able to accept me. I got to jump through all these hoops and make sure every. I is dotted and T is crossed. If you're a perfectionist, a struggle with perfectionism, need grace. See, grace removes those barriers. We can develop deep, true relationships, and we can actually let who we really are come out. Because when people aren't free, we hide. That's what we do, right? And church is supposed to be a place of grace where we can come in and be who we are, who we are and express ourselves and bring our problems. And it's not always like that. I hear horror stories. Think about starting some kind of support group for church hurt because there's a lot of it. Uh, grace. People who are gracious can look beyond the faults of other people's and see their needs. But grace is the the only thing we need to grow. It offers us kindness and acceptance, but the problem with just grace alone, only grace all the time, it doesn't give us any direction or structure. Because I can hear some of I can I can hear the wheels turning like, yeah, but if you give people just grace and grace, they won't act right. (laughs) Well, that's why the Bible pairs grace with truth. That's where truth comes in. 
What is truth? Truth is reality, how things really are. Truth is everything that is faithfully consistent with God's word, God's design for our lives. It's accurate information about who God is, about who we are in Christ, about the nature of the world we live in, about whatever situation we find ourselves in. Truth is knowledge, understanding, clarity, and honesty. We live in an information age. We get bombarded with all kinds of information, which has actually made it harder to know what the truth is. Um, I'm on the Internet a lot. A lot of the software I use for uh, my counseling practices is, is online, and I'm always on the Internet, and I'm reading, I'm watching videos. and You can't tell what's true, what's not. Everything's Photoshopped. You know, everything is, you know, they have these things called deep fakes where you can make make your face look like a, a famous actor. And so I'll, there'll be commercials playing, and it's like, I don't think that's really Tom Cruise. I don't think that's really him doing that commercial. You can fake people's voices now. There's a lot of information. A lot of it is lies. And we need truth because we're always receiving some kind of information and we don't really know how to sort through it without truth and discernment. Look at our passage in, uh, back in Ephesians 4. It said, the purpose of maturity is so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Anybody ever been tricked or scammed before? I, I, yeah, I have too. And Paul talks about there's false doctrine out there. There's human cunning. There's deceitfulness all over the place. And that stuff creeps into the church. It creeps into our minds. It creeps to every area of our life. So one source of inaccurate information is just the world we live in. Not only that, we have an enemy who is a liar and the father of lies and the accuser of the brethren. Satan's main attack isn't physical. It's just just throwing these little, what Paul calls fiery darts of just little lies, little suggestions. You, God's holding out on you. You won't die if you eat. Go take a bite. You call yourself a Christian after you just did that. I know what you did. We get all kinds of information. Our own thoughts and emotions can set us up for failure. Negative or inaccurate thoughts about ourselves, about our situation, about God. And we allow our perceptions, our interpretations, our experience to kind of color and shade everything in our lives. There's a persistent thought. Anytime something goes wrong in my life, the first thing that pops in my head is, I knew it. <laughs> I was waiting. Waiting for that other shoe to drop. Yeah. Every time I drive under an underpass, I just be looking under there like, I, I'm, could I live under there? It's coming. It's like I'm claiming that spot right there, right under. Right under I-65. 
That's not, that's not the truth. But we all have those thoughts that just pop in our heads, and we have to challenge those thoughts with the truth of what God's word says. So we need truth. Without truth, we'll walk in confusion and error. And we're likely to make decisions based on bad information. Truth is vital. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. And the author of Hebrews is kind of giving the, his hearers or uh, addressing down. And he says, hey, y'all become dull of hearing. This time you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you. Again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. How would you like to come to church and hear that? Y'all a bunch of babies. We're still talking about this? And it says, but solid food. It's for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. There's a gift of discernment that the Holy Spirit gives people, but there's also a discernment that just comes from being exposed to the truth over and over again. makes it easier to spot what the lie is. Have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice in distinguishing good from evil. See, we need both grace and truth. One of the things that uh, that book changes that Hill talks about, and this was this was mind blowing for me. He takes John one fourteen, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Henry Cloud says that you can't separate grace and truth. They got to go together. Jesus was full of grace and truth. And he says grace without truth is license. It's permission. In other words, if you only receive grace, if we, we may get the impression that there's I don't need to improve. Uh, yeah. I can do whatever I want. And things have worked out well for me so far. People still love me. Everybody's in my corner. I hadn't, you know. If we only see, receive grace, we think it's permission to stay the same. Grace without truth is license. Yeah. We've all seen those uh, interviews uh, with a mother on the news after her son has done something awful. He's killed two people, stolen a car and robbed somebody else for gas money to get to the... <laughs> and she's, he's such a good boy. He ain't never hurt nobody. Like, he just killed two people. That's too much grace. That's grace without truth. It's like, ma'am, your son is a menace. And he's probably been in ministry since three years old, but you didn't give that boy any truth. He says, grace without truth is license. Look what Paul says in uh, Romans 6. And he's asking all these rhetorical questions because he, he knows he's going to get some pushback on grace. And he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in grace so that sin, 
continue in sin so that grace may abound? Since, since God gives grace upon grace and we can't out-sin the grace and love of God, can we just keep on sinning? Paul says, no, by no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? In verse 15, he says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under the grace? By no, no, that's not what grace is. Grace doesn't leave us the same. Grace doesn't say there's not standards, there's not boundaries, there's not responsibilities. It just says that those things don't cut us off from relationship. In Galatians 5.13, it says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. No, grace doesn't mean we can do whatever we want to do. Grace without truth is license. But here's, here's the second part of that. Truth without grace is judgment. Truth disconnected from grace will always feel like judgment. It would always feel, it always seem mean, unloving, unforgiving, and it, and it brings shame. What if a stranger just walked up to you and just started just criticizing you? That's, and they might be correct. It might be truth, but there's no relationship there. There's just, just flat truth without grace. Doesn't help anybody. Doesn't help anybody. I used to think that the height of, of authenticity of being yourself was just to say what you wanted to say unfiltered. You know, just be as honest as you could be all the time. And it may be the truth, but it's not wisdom. Especially if you're married. You got to sleep next to somebody. No, truth without grace is judgment. We need both. People don't grow under those conditions. So what, where do we find truth? Well, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. That's a good source of truth. The word of God. Father, sanctify them in truth. John 17, 17. Thy word is truth. The Bible tells us what reality is, what our situation is, who we are in Christ, who we are not. Tells us about our status before God. The Holy Spirit, called the Spirit of Truth. Other people who are wise and knowledgeable and more mature in the Lord and more mature in certain areas than we are. We don't know everything. Do you, do you know somebody who is wise? One of the things I run into a lot in working in my practice with younger people who don't have, they're cut off from a lot of their family members, especially the older wise, if they have wise people in their family, and they're just out here floating. They're just doing the best they can. They don't have wise people that they can, come, that they can go to and ask things the wisdom of, of other people. So there's all these places where we can gather tr truth that are more reliable than the Internet. Now, the Internet might be good for sports facts and see who won the Super Bowl in 1976. But you have to wade through a whole lot of error to find the truth. So without grace, we might feel ashamed, too guilty, 
too discouraged to move toward healing and growth. But without truth, we don't know what's real and where we need to grow. How do you know where to grow if nobody's ever said, hey, hey, you know, I love you, but, you know, that's your, that's your sixth drink. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I, I love you, but you, you're eating bacon, like, at every meal. Th- throw in a, a vegetable in there every now and then. Hey, I love you, but I, I, don't, I don't like the way you're, you're treating me. So we need truth and grace. Finally, I won't spend a lot of time on this one, but the third one is time. Time. Grace and truth need time to work. It's not magic. Growth takes time. Healing takes time. Sanctification takes time. We don't mature overnight. We don't heal overnight. Some things we just don't get over. Some things we don't just change. Some things you got to intentionally work through. And I'm not talking about chronological time, like two years, three years, six months. Cloud talks about what he calls redemptive time. And that is bringing those things, bringing our weakness, our hurt, our pain, into the light of day where grace and truth can get to it, bringing it into experience. Because some of us have the tendency to stuff things down. I don't want to deal with it. So I'm going to eat this can of Pringles because <laughs> I'm anxious. Tell it on myself. I get anxious. I want something that's salty and crunchy. Fries, chips. No, things have to be brought up. We have to bring it up into experience. You can't just stuff it down. You can't ignore it. You can't self-medicate it forever. We need time to work through things. We can't address what we want to acknowledge. Henry Cloud says this. He says, change only takes place in what he calls good time. Good time is time in which we and our experiences can be affected by grace and truth. If we have removed some aspect of ourselves from time, grace and truth cannot transform it. Whatever aspect of ourselves that we leave outside of our experience goes unchanged. Grace and truth cannot affect the part of ourselves we won't bring into experience. Whatever you hide won't be healed. It has to be How did God heal us? By exposing us. The Ten Commandments. Paul says, where there's no law, there's no trespass. And the law shows us, the Bible says, our need for grace. And he didn't just zap us. He gave us a relationship with him through his son. See, we change, we grow, we heal through grace and truth experienced through other people, through our relationships. And so a lot of times the people who feel worse are the people who are most isolated. And when I say isolated, I don't mean that they're not around other people. It means that nobody knows them. Nobody knows what you're struggling with. Nobody knows what's going on with you. Healing and growth and change the processes 
there's only a couple of exceptions to going through the process. One is the anointing. God may give us a, uh, this is Steve's old definition. This is a 20-year-old definition. Steve might not even remember giving it. But God's anointing is God's supernatural ability for a specialized assignment. So sometimes God just may grow us up in an area for what he has us to do. But don't count on that. And the other one is deliverance. Where God just miraculously changes a part of our character. I used to want to do this and Holy Spirit got to me, Jesus got to me, and I just walked away from it. I don't need to do that anymore. So there are times when God miraculously changes and grows us up in certain areas, but most of the time, it's going to be a process. There are no quick fixes. Pastor always talks about, you want relief or a resolution? Relief is a quick fix. It's temporary. I feel better right now with this bacon and these Pringles. But when I got to go see the cardiologist, he was like, what have you been eating? Pork, <laughs> lots of it, potatoes. Do you want to feel better or be better? It takes time. And there are no timetables. Everybody moves at their own pace. People kick themselves because we think we had not made enough progress. We're like, well, I should be here by now. Maybe. Uh, and I'll just say that there's some things, some wounds, they don't ever completely heal. There are some things that we can experience that are so horrible, that are so painful, that they don't ever go away. We don't ever get over it. It's just we develop a different relationship to the pain. Our hearts grow to encompass the hurt, to encompass the pain. It just becomes part of us. Grace, truth, times. These are the conditions for healing and growth. I'll leave you with a couple of questions. How would our relationships be different if we were able to inject a little more grace and truth into them? Do you err on the side of grace? We kind of have a natural disposition to one another. There's some people, they're just all grace. Some people, like I'm a truth person. I'm, I'm, I'm learning to be more gracious. Where, where, where do you err on the side of, grace or truth? If you're giving a, people a whole lot of truth all the time, you might want to try a little grace. And if you're just all grace, eventually, eventually you will take advantage of. You, feel, you will feel taken advantage of. Because what you're not doing is you're not being honest with the other person. You're not being honest with yourself because you're not telling the truth. You've got to have both. When I work with couples and families, you'll see that a lot. Somebody's had a complaint about their spouse for 15 years. <laughs> Ain't said nothing. And it's like, why are you having problems? Well, they won't say it. Because they're worried about the, what the other person is going to say. They're worried about breaking the relationship. They're worried... I won't be accepted if I tell them how I really feel. I said, well, you're just as much of the problem as the other person. Because they don't know. They don't know you. You've been hiding for 15 years about what you really think, what you really feel, what you really believe. That's why it hadn't gotten better. 
grace, truth, and time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would open our hearts to be receptive to your grace, to receive your grace, to receive grace from other people, and to extend it to other people. I ask that you would incline our minds to the truth of who you are and of who we are in Christ. Quench those fiery darts with the shield of faith. We pull down strongholds, pretensions, and every high thing that exhausts itself against the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grant us the courage to confront the things we push down, to acknowledge the hurt, the pain, our weakness, to expose it and to bring it to the light of your redeeming grace and truth. And I pray that your spirit will guide us into the new year. Guide us to grace-filled relationships if we don't have them. Lead us into truth where we're deceived. And grant us the discernment to know the difference between error and truth. God, I pray that you will continue to conform us to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. That we will abound in your grace. And that we extend grace to other people. Jesus' name, amen.